0: 40 and let's begin Genesis 40 verse 1 then it came about after these things okay put your Bibles down okay it came about after these things. This happens periodically in the book of Genesis. That the chapter will begin with, and after these things. And every time I see that, I think, okay, let's just say you haven't been coming every Sunday and hearing sermons on the book of Genesis. Let's just say you haven't read the book of Genesis. You're walking today going, after what things? So it's my job to as quickly as possible, with some meaning, remind you what things he's talking about after these things. We are now in chapter 40 of the book of Genesis. That means we've come to the life of a guy named Joseph. Now, Joseph is the son of Jacob. Jacob, the son of Isaac, and Isaac, the son of Abraham, And God came to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 and said, hey, I have this plan for your life. I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me. I want you to walk with me by faith. And I promise you, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you beyond measure. I'm going to bless your ancestors. And we're going to give you your own land. And you are going to be a blessing to all the nations through your ancestors or or through those who are born through you. And so um, that's how we're introduced. That's how we got to this guy, um, Joseph. Now, Abraham, of course, tried to follow God, and he did it mm, not so great. Uh, He had some good moments and had some bad moments, but generally stumbled a lot along the way. And as we watched his story, we said, aha, God can work with even imperfect people, right? And then Abraham passed the torch of this blessing and this promise onto his son Isaac who it turns out didn't do nearly as well as his dad did in following God and although he did try to walk with God and he had a real genuine faith uh, he still stumbled along the way and we said aha I guess God can do amazing things even with imperfect people and just to make sure we got it right Isaac passed the blessing and the torch down to his son, Jacob. We didn't really pass it down. Jacob stole it, but you have to go back and read about that. Uh, And Jacob, it turns out, was even worse at following God than his father had been, who was worse than his father had been. And so we're seeing this happening generation by generation. These guys are getting further from God. And Jacob marries a bunch of different women, has children by all these different women, ends up with just a boatload of children, but never does he have a child by his beloved wife, Rachel, until finally Rachel conceives and she gives birth to a son, and that son is Joseph. And from that moment on, All the other kids have second place and Joseph has first place and Joseph is the favorite son of Jacob. Jacob, whose name, by the way, has now been changed to Israel and who is the father of this great nation known as Israel, right? And so um, as we watch these guys, what we're seeing is uh, they get it wrong, they get it wrong, they get it wrong, they get it wrong. And it didn't just start with Abraham. In fact, this whole book of Genesis has been a bunch of people trying to have some kind of relationship with God and getting it wrong, right? Adam and Eve were, were created in this perfect situation. No sin, no disease, no difficulty, no blocks between them and God. And still they turn away from God and try to be their own gods, right? And they throw the world into an upheaval. Their son Cain murders his brother, um, And we just keep hearing about wickedness going on and on from generation to generation until finally God says, I've got to do something about this. There's only one man who's truly following me, and that's Noah. He wipes out the world, saves Noah and his family. And as soon as the flood subsides... Noah begins sinning right where everybody left off, right? And all these people are proving to us over and over and over again that this story, the book of Genesis, this whole narrative is not a story about great people. Even though these are names that we recognize, these are heroes, this is not a story about great people. The book of Genesis is a story about a great God, It's a story about a great God and his interaction with not so great people, which hopefully uh, has the same impact on you that it has on me, which is to be comforting, to realize that this great God is willing to interact with not so great people opens doors for me. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that, right? They try to get it right, they try to get it right, but they fail. And then we're introduced to this guy, Joseph, who he really gets 25%, roughly 25% of the book of Genesis is dedicated to Joseph's story. And, and so God focuses on him, and what we begin to see in Joseph is not a perfect person, but a person who actually walks by faith, a person who actually lives above board, a person who actually gets it right on a consistent basis. And it's as if God is finally saying, hey, I want you to know, guys, it is possible to actually walk with God by faith. It is possible to actually live the dream that God has for you. And that's why we've entitled this section of the book of Genesis, Living the Dream. Because as you remember, Joseph as a, as a young kid was given these dreams by God. And God basically told him what his future would be like. And it was greatness. God showed him that he had a plan for his life that involved greatness. Greatness. And Joseph, realizing now that God was going to make him great, uh, had to share that with his brothers, who, as you know, were thrilled to hear about it, right? And so they end up planning to kill him, and then they come up with a better idea. Why don't we sell him uh, to slave traders and get him out of here, and then we can make some money on the deal? So they sell him to slave traders who are going to Egypt. When he gets to Egypt, he, um, he meets up with Potiphar who buys him and he finds himself in Potiphar's house. He eventually finds himself in prison, which is where we meet him in chapter 40. But as we think about this idea of living the dream, I wanna just begin, and we'll come back to this later, but I wanna begin by planting a seed in our minds. I want you to think about this question for your own life. When it comes to living the dream, whose dream have you been trying to live? I want you to think about that because um, there is a difference in general between the dreams we have for our own lives and the dreams that God has for us. And, and in my dreams, for instance, I get what I want, <laughs> In my dreams, things go well for me. In my dreams, I am promoted. In my dreams, I am honored. In my dreams, I live comfortably. In my dreams, things go easily for me. In my dreams, I get out of trouble that I get into. In my dreams, I'm incredibly wealthy. Those are my dreams. Now, God's dreams are a little bit different. And let me, let me put it to you this way. And maybe you've heard this already on TV. God wants you to be incredibly wealthy. When you think about your dreams versus God's dreams, don't think for a second that God does not want you to be incredibly wealthy. God wants you to be incredibly wealthy. Now you're all looking at me with that look. You're like, oh my gosh, what happened to Pastor Doug this week? Doug, he became a prosperity gospel guy, right? No, listen. God says to us in his word that it is his desire that we be incredibly wealthy. He just defines wealth differently than we do. He he tells us, for example, store up treasures in heaven, right? Where rust doesn't destroy, thieves don't break in and steal, right? Instead of storing up treasures on earth. He tells us to invest in things that are eternal and not just things that are temporary, um, he tells us that uh, who, whoever wishes to uh, save his life must lose it. And whoever whoever's willing to lose his life for Christ's sake will find it. I mean, that's, that's kind of backwards from our dreams. That's not the way we think about it, right? How, just ask yourself, what do I pray for? So often what we pray for is, God, get me out of this mess. God, give me this nice thing. God, you know, I I want this promotion. God, I want to get healed. God, I want, I want, I want, I want. And there's nothing wrong with that on one level because God tells us to come to him with our desires and lay them at his feet. But isn't it interesting to note how often, at least in my life, my thoughts about what do I need to pray for are not, Lord, make me into the person you want me to be, My thoughts are, Lord, make my situation into what I want it to be. And so that tells me that sometimes I'm living my dream. I'm pursuing my dream instead of really pursuing God's dream. Joseph's dream was starting to change by chapter 40. Remember, his brothers uh, sold him into slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's house. Now, Potiphar is the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard, That is to say, he's the highest ranking law enforcement official in all of Egypt. He is in charge of the protection and the well being of the Pharaoh. He buys Joseph as a slave, puts him to work in his house. Joseph decides, I am here to serve God. So I'm going to serve God by serving people. And he does an amazing job working at Potiphar's house to the point where Potiphar promotes him and promotes him and promotes him and puts him in charge of everything in his house, right? And he's in charge of everything. We saw this last week. Potiphar's wife starts to hit on Joseph. Joseph resists her. She gets embarrassed. She gets mad. She cries rape. And he ends up in prison, right? Now, he has decided that he is going to start serving people. We saw it in Potiphar's house and we're about to see it in the jail. He's already got it settled in his mind. He was going to live God's dream for his life. And here's something you can write down. If you're a note taker, write this down. God's dream always involves serving others. Okay, so just... Get settled with it. God's dream for your life and mine always involves you and me serving others. If we're gonna be on board with God, if we're gonna experience what he has planned for us, he is going to use us to serve other people. He's gonna use us to help other people. He's gonna use us to lift up other people. He's gonna use us to encourage other people. He's gonna use us to enable other people, and the list goes on and on. That's what God wants to use us for. God's dream for Joseph's life was that Joseph would become great, right? But how does God define great? Remember, Jesus and the disciples had to go over this again and again and again. Jesus said multiple times to his disciples, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. The greatest among you shall be the servant of all. He says, I know, Jesus says, that in this world, um, the, the higher up you are, the better you are, the greater you are, the more people that are serving you. But it is not so with you, Jesus says to his followers, Instead, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. And then he sets the example by going to the cross to serve us all, right? The greatest man who ever lived, the one who is the God man, sets the example by going to the cross. And so Joseph is starting to realize, I've got to become a servant. And so he serves Potiphar. Potiphar has him thrown in jail. So he serves the jailer. And the jailer does the same thing that Potiphar did, promotes him. Now, I don't know how this works. Thankfully, I don't have any prison stories to tell. Never been there, right? I don't know how this works in prison. Maybe ask Pastor Ricky. He could tell you later. But I don't know, right? But I'm thinking that it's not necessarily the greatest honor in the world to be like chief inmate, right? But among the inmates, it's the greatest honor, Right? He, he is he's the most trusted among the inmates. He's given the keys to the place, and he's an inmate. It's kind of an amazing thing, right? Why? Because he keeps serving people because he started to get in tune with this idea that, you know what, God has a dream for my life, and I'm interested in living that dream instead of trying to do things my way. And so he served Potiphar, then he served the jailer. He eventually serves the inmates, which we're gonna see here in chapter 40. Yes, I am coming back to it. Uh, And he ends up, if you read ahead, as many of you know the story, he ends up serving Pharaoh. He ends up serving the entire nation of Egypt. And he ends up uh, making a way for the nation of Israel to exist so that a Messiah can come from that line. It's an amazing thing. But from where he sat... In that jail cell, there's no way he could have seen this. There's no way he could have known that God was doing this thing and it was eventually going to make him the prime minister of Egypt and save countless lives. There's no way he could have known that God had this dream for his life and this was the necessary path to get to that dream. So there, there takes a certain amount of faith to just say, you know what, God? I'm gonna keep trusting you. I'm gonna keep believing you. I'm gonna keep obeying you. I'm gonna keep following you. Why? Not because I have so much faith because you're such a great God. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. And so that's what he decided to do. So all those people that he was serving, whether it was Potiphar or the jailer or the inmates or the pharaoh or whomever, all those people that were serving who was he really serving? He was serving God. He was serving God. And guys, I point this out because it is so necessary for us to just flip this switch in our head because so often, like I think most of us, we, we go, of course I should serve God. I mean, obviously God is greater than me. God is the one who deserves to be served. I should be his servant. I get that, right? I'm, I'm kind of willing to serve God, but my obnoxious next-door neighbor... That's another story, right? And how often do we put two and two together and realize that when I serve that neighbor, I'm actually serving God? It's so necessary for us to get this right. Otherwise, we're always going to think, uh, that person doesn't deserve to be served by me. Guys, it's not about deserving, right? It's about God. If God's given me an assignment and my assignment involves serving people, I'm going to keep serving those people that God has called me to serve. So, the whole time he's serving God. We'll get back to that later, but let's get back to Genesis chapter 40. And it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief chief cupbearer and the chief baker, So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard, by the way, who's the captain of the bodyguard? Potiphar, okay? Potiphar's still in this story. Joseph is actually uh, imprisoned in some sort of dungeon at Potiphar's compound, right? He's the captain of the bodyguard. These guys get sent to the same place. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them and he took care of them and they were in confinement for some time. I point that out because isn't it interesting to realize that even though he threw him in jail because of his wife's accusations, he still trusted him. He, he trusted him. He had seen his character. He trusted him. Now, uh, he apparently wasn't willing to fight with his wife over it, but he trusted him. Verse 5, Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials uh, who were with him in confinement in his master's house, "'Why are your faces so sad today?' Which to me is a crack up of a question to ask people who are in prison, but whatever. Why are your faces so sad today? Verse 8 Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there's no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. All right, let's stop there for a second. A couple of things you need to understand. We've just met two more characters the cupbearer to the king. And the chief baker to the king. And now we look at that and we go, okay, so the cupbearer, he's on the, on the waiting staff. He's a guy that serves the wine to the king. Um, he's, a, he's a waiter. He's a servant, so to speak. And the baker works in the kitchen. He must bake breads and cakes and whatever for events that they're having. These are kind of low-level people that are in charge of just getting food to the, to the king and to his guests. That's not who these guys are. The chief cupbearer is the guy who is in charge of everyone who serves the pharaoh, okay? His job ultimately is to protect the pharaoh while making sure the pharaoh gets served. That means to say he arranges some sort of flunky whose job it is to test everything before it gets served to the king just in case it's been poisoned, right? Now, the chief baker is in charge of the food side of things. Whenever there are dignitaries that come, he is the guy who is in charge of the event. He's in charge of the catering. He is in charge of making sure that everything gets taken care of and everything is fed. Everybody is fed and everything is good. These guys, uh, in fact, Moses refers to them as these two officials in Pharaoh's kingdom. Um, the cupbearer especially would have been one of the three or four top um members of the government he he was the most trusted guy he was the guy who was always with the pharaoh he was the guy who stood next to the throne and determined whether you could see the pharaoh or not and it was his job to take care of the safety and the well-being of the Pharaoh. It was the baker's job, as it refers to food, to take care of the safety and the well-being of the Pharaoh. And it was the chief of the bodyguard's job, as it re- as it um, relates to attacks, to take care of the safety and the well-being of the Pharaoh. These are the three guys whose job it is to make sure the Pharaoh is okay. And all three of these guys now have, have come across Joseph's path. These are big wigs in the government. These are guys that get you access. And I tell you all of that to say that Joseph had no idea what the plan that God had was for him. He had no idea that he was going to serve in a high government office in the Pharaoh's uh, administration. He had no idea that these relationships were gonna turn out to be important, but he just served these people as he met them wherever they were. He didn't know exactly what God's dream was, but he knew that he needed to do what God had called him to do. And so God called on Joseph to serve all three of these men. And I want to remind you of something that we looked at way back in the early chapters of Genesis. In fact, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And we talked on that first day of Genesis, we talked about the fact that our God is a designer by nature. That what he makes, he designs. Nothing God makes is haphazard. Nothing God makes is uh, off the top of his head. God has designed what he has made. And so the earth is designed, we are designed, and God has a design for our lives. Again, Joseph would have had no idea how how specific and big God's design was for his life, but God had a design for his life. Even while he was sitting in jail, God had a design for his life. He was there to serve, so he served these men. Um, and, and he knew, because he had had dreams from God, that God could give interpretation to dreams. So look what he did, verse 11. Um, No, wait a minute, not verse 11. Verse 9, sorry. Uh, So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me. And on the vine there uh, were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. So I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Now, it's kind of a weird dream. It makes sense. This guy is a cupbearer to the king. He's in charge of the wine. And he has this dream where this plant grows up and it bears fruit quickly. And there's grapes and there's are the fabulous grapes. So he squeezes them into the glass so he can serve them to Pharaoh. And that's his dream. And he tells Joseph his dream. It's kind of a weird dream, but um, that's not the part that amazes me. What amazes me about this section is Joseph's confidence he doesn't hem and haw. He doesn't go, huh, that's a weird dream. Wonder what it means. He he doesn't say, um, listen, you know, I've, I've messed with dreams a little bit. So take this with a grain of salt. Or he doesn't say, you know, um, maybe it could mean something. uh, he, He doesn't answer that way at all. Look what he says. Verse 12. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. No maybes, no ifs, no grain of salt. This is the interpretation of it. And then he goes on and explains the interpretation. Well, let's go ahead and read it again. He explains the interpretation. This is the interpretation of the three branches. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Look how confident Joseph is in this. This is the interpretation. God has gifted me with the ability to interpret this dream. God has told me what your dream means. After all, interpretation doesn't belong to me. Interpretation belongs to God. So when I'm speaking to you now, I am speaking God's words. I am telling you this is what it means. This is so different than what you get from people who are self-styled prophets today. If you get a group of people together and some guy up front talking about, I have this prophetic gift, right? He says, and I, I'm just, I'm seeing a face and it's like, it's a man's face or maybe like a female face or something. And, and I think there's like the letter D. Does anybody know someone with a face and the letter D, right? Um, and, and, and this is not what Joseph does here. Joseph goes, let me be clear. This is what God says. In three days, this is going to happen. Check me on it. Three days. This is not someday. No, in three days, this is going to happen. And when it happens, it will happen like this. And he gives them the details, right? And he tells them what happens. You know what? When you are living God's dream, you can live in confidence, When you're living God's dream and you know you're where God wants you and you're doing what he has shown you to do, you may not have all the answers, you may not know all the details, but you are being faithful to what you have been shown and you are walking with God and you're living for God's glory, you don't have to shy away from opportunities or doors that God opens for you. You don't have to be afraid to walk through an opportunity when God says, hey, I'm going to use you here. You, you, You don't have to say, what do you mean, little old me? You can't use me. How could you? you use me no interpretation belongs to God God can use you however he wants to use you and don't fight him for the glory because you'll never win that fight right the glory is for him and so as long as the glory is for him you don't have to be afraid to confidently step forward and with the gifts God has given you minister in the name of Jesus Christ you don't have to be afraid and and we see this over and over again with Joseph He doesn't look at himself and go, you know, who in the world am I to interpret your dream? I'm just a prisoner. I'm not even from here. I don't don't know anything about this. No, he doesn't do that. He knows that God has blessed him with this gift and he's going to use this gift. When you have the confidence that you're walking in God's dream, you can have confidence to keep walking. And there's a million examples of this. Maybe the best one is Jesus, right? Jesus goes on trial. He's standing before governors and kings, people who have the power and the authority to put him to death. Uh, And in fact, at one point, even um, Pilate says to him, don't you know that I have the power to determine if you live or die? And Jesus looks at him and, and I'll bet you, I don't know, it doesn't say this, this is Doug, this is not the Bible, I don't know, but I'll bet you, That when Jesus looked at him, it was with compassion in his eyes. And he said, don't you understand that any authority you have has been given to you by my Father, right? It's it's not about you. (laughs) It's not even about me. It's about my Father. And, And you have no power over me except what's been given. And how could he be so bold? He knew he was walking in the Father's dream. Paul did the same thing. He too. We've been looking at this in the men's Bible study in the book of Acts on Saturday mornings, which has been outstanding. And and Paul um, goes before all these different kings and governors and people who have power to put him to death. And every time he does, they, they basically say, look, Paul, it doesn't look to us like you've done anything all that bad. In fact, we're kind of ready to release you if you'll just shut up. Like, just stop with the preaching stuff. If you just stop all of this... You'll be fine. We'll let you go. And, and they say, what do you say to that? And he says, thank you for the opportunity. And he preaches the gospel to them. <laughs> over and over. He just does it again. They go, don't you know that if you just shut up, we'll let you go? He goes, I don't want to go. I want to preach to you, and I want to preach to you, and then I want to preach to him. And then send me to the Caesar, because he and I need to have an appointment, because he too needs Jesus, because he tells people he's God, but he knows in his heart he ain't. He needs Jesus. Send me to him, right? How do you have that kind of boldness? How do you have that kind of confidence? When you know that you are walking in God's dream for your life and not your dream for your life, you can have all the confidence in the world. Think about Dr. Martin Luther King. I, I just he this guy if you go to Washington DC, you, you can walk up the steps to the Lincoln Memorial and you can see the the mark on the step where Dr. King stood when he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech, right? Which is apropos on a on a message about Joseph and his dreams, right? He he gives this great speech which we've all heard and 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 basically what he says in this speech is I have a dream that All people should be treated with dignity because they are children of God and they should be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And that was essentially his speech, right? And as you know, they killed him for that. He got killed for that. How do you stand there with that kind of boldness and that kind of courage and say what needs to be said to people who may not want to hear it and it might really cost you something. When you know that you're living in God's dream, you can do it with confidence. People like that change the world. Servants who care more about other people than they care about themselves. Servants who are more about building the kingdom of God than building kingdoms for themselves. People like that change the world people who are willing to live in God's dream. So don't ever shrink back. Don't ever, don't ever feel like you can't take an opportunity to use your gifts for God's glory. Let's remember what your gifts are. By definition, a gift is given to you, right? So you don't get to pat yourself on the back and go, I'm so gifted if you're gifted, it's because someone gave something to you. God has given you your gifts, whether your gifts are financial resources or whether your gifts are great intellect or whether your gifts are um, influence uh, to, to make uh, impact in society or whether you have certain spiritual gifts, whatever your gifts might be, uh, use them for God's glory. Don't shrink back. Don't wait for the heavy hitters to show up and use their big gifts You know what? Same Holy Spirit in you is the same Holy Spirit that was in John the Baptist. So let's not forget that God uses you by using your gifts. And by the way, before we get off the gift topic, let me just say this about that. Um, Not all gifts are enjoyable. Not every gift God has given you is uh, for your enjoyment. Uh, In fact, some of them might be really hard. Have you ever stopped and even thought about the fact that maybe some of the most difficult situations of your life were actually gifts from God? Because they opened opportunities. What was he doing in this jail? He was living in God's gift, right? And using God's gift. Why? Because God was taking him somewhere, doing something with him. It wasn't about his promotion. It was about God's glory. And so... Sometimes our most difficult situations are actually gifts from God. Daniel was taken into captivity, taken away from his family and his homeland and taken off to a pagan nation where he was forced to serve a pagan king, right? And God used him in that situation so much so that that pagan king became a believer and made it a part of the national culture to worship the one true God. That's a gift. David had to fight a giant. He had to fight a giant. Now, we know he won, right? I don't know if he knew he was going to win. He walked out there to face a guy who had trained his whole life to kill him. And in that situation, which was an extremely stressful situation, to say the least, God used that situation to defeat Goliath Free the um, Israelites from the Philistines, make David the king, and ultimately the forefather of the Messiah. Moses had to spend 40 years on the backside of the desert as a shepherd before God even said, yeah, you can now spend 40 years in the wilderness leading the people of God. I mean, he was born in a palace, and he spent the last 80 years of his life in the desert. Probably not the way he would have designed it. But God changed the world through him. I wonder why God has allowed you to be in your toughest situations. Could it be that maybe that situation you're in is an invitation to join God in what he's doing? And God might want to change the world through you. Joseph finds himself in prison for doing nothing wrong. But he doesn't shrink back. He just stood there and gave an interpretation, because that's what God had gifted him and positioned him to do. How different this world would be if we were all that willing to trust in what God has gifted us with and step forward in His dream. How different this world would be. Joseph knew that he was a maid, designed created to serve others. So while he's there in prison, he interprets dreams. That's what he can do. Verse 13. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. That is great news for the cupbearer, right? That is fantastic news. Three more days, dude. Just hang in there, three more days in jail, and you're going right back. You're gonna get exonerated of all this stuff. You're gonna go right back to serving the king. You're gonna go right back to your position of greatness and authority. Now look at verse 14. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Okay? It's a pretty straightforward request. He says, look, I've I've served you, and I'm asking you, please, tell the Pharaoh about me. I don't belong here. I didn't do anything. Look at verse 15. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. Could you please just take my appeal to Pharaoh and get me out of here? He didn't want to be there. And I wouldn't have wanted to be there either. I'm not saying that the dungeon was God's ultimate plan for Joseph's life. I'm saying that while he was in the dungeon, he pursued God's ultimate plan for his life. And so he says, hey, get me out of here. We'll see how that goes. But let's not forget about the baker, he is standing there listening. Wow, this guy had a dream. There was three, day, three things in his dream, and that was three days. And he's getting out of here in three days. I cannot wait to have him interpret my dream, right? Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, hey, 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 I also saw in my dream. And behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. That's his dream. I was walking around balancing three baskets of baked goods, and the birds kept coming, and they were taking all the baked goods out of the basket, and there was nothing I could do to stop them. That's my dream. What do you have to say? There was three baskets. That's probably three days, right? Right? We're, we're, we're getting out of here, Right? Different details, but basically the same. This is a baker's version of the dream, right? What's going to happen for me in three days? Verse 18. Then Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. Once again, absolutely confident. The three baskets are three days. Oh, good, good. I was hoping. Three days, three days. Verse 19. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. Lift up your head from you. Some translations say Pharaoh will lift off your head, right? So to the cupbearer, he said Pharaoh will lift up your head. What a a pleasant picture. This one, he's going to lift off your head, okay? He will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. Well, that's pleasant. Yikes. I, I... I'd listen to that interpretation and honestly my first thought is dude it's only going to be three days why do you have to tell him this these are his last three days he's got to sit and wait for this to happen the birds are going to eat your flesh they're going to take your head off of you why tell him I'm telling you if you come to me and I hadn't inter- turned God told me I would have said hmm That's a hard one. Let me get back to you in about four days. (laughs) Wouldn't that have been easier? Right? How awkward were those next three days? Every time he walks by these guys, he's like, how's it going? The cupbearer's like, hey, really good. And the other guy's like, shut up. You know? How awkward. How difficult. Why even tell this guy the truth? There's nothing that can be done about it. Why do you have to tell him this? Don't forget what Joseph had said. Interpretations belong to God. Here you go. You can take this home with you. It's not up to me to decide which parts of God's word get shared with people. It's not up to me to decide which parts of God's word get shared with people. God expects us to share all of his truth with people. And there are too many people claiming to represent God who will only speak what they think the people want to hear. And that may draw a big crowd, but that is not your role as someone who's living God's dream. And I'm just gonna tell you, and I don't say this in a braggadocious way, in all sincerity, I'm just gonna tell you, you know, if you're a part of Grace Fellowship, you need to know you are a part of a church that is absolutely committed to sharing the whole truth of God's word with everybody. That's what we're committed to. Uh, And and we're not gonna get knocked off of that path, uh, and we're gonna share the whole teaching of God's word. We're gonna call people to obey God's word, whether I'm up here preaching, or Pastor Dave, or Pastor Byron, or Pastor Ricky, or whether one of your Bible study leaders, or the Kids Connection teachers, or whomever, they are going to present the word of God. And they're going to call people to respond to the word of God. Because guys, my opinion doesn't matter. And my popularity matters even less. What matters is that lives get changed by the power of the word of God. And so we're going to preach the word of God. And I mention that only because we live in a time and a place where that kind of boldness with the truth is going to get more and more costly as far as I can tell. What if they take away our tax exemption as a church? That will be hard. But it's not going to keep us from preaching the truth. What if, what if they start to call what's in the Bible hate speech? It's already happening, my friends. It's already happening. Um, and what if it's possible for preachers to get convicted of a hate crime, which has a much heavier sentence, if they actually preach the teaching of God's word, even in a loving way? Pray for me, because my heart is set that I'm going to preach God's word no matter what. And, and that shouldn't just go for preachers, it should go for Christians, all of us should embrace all of the truth that God gives us. And so um, my bet is it's going to get more and more costly in the 21st century, especially in California, to, to speak boldly about truth. But as we've always said here, Jesus is full of grace and truth. We are not willing to give up one for the other. So when I talk about truth, I'm not talking about beating people over the head and condemning and judging and pointing fingers and all that kind of stuff. If you've been a part of this church, you know that. But I am saying that we're going to lovingly, compassionately, gently teach people the truth of God's word. You know why? Because if you are out of step with God's truth, you need to know it. It is unloving to not teach the truth. So Joseph speaks up. God tells him what to say, and he doesn't run it through his own filter and go, "'Is this going to work out for me?' He just speaks the truth. And we need to do it with grace, and we need to do it with compassion. But we're going to speak the truth. Joseph knew that. Verse 20. "'Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, "'that he made a feast for all his servants, "'and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer "'and the head of the chief baker among his servants.' He restored the chief cupbearer to his office and he put the cup in the, into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph has interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. It's such a sad ending to the story. The baker, we, we can only assume, was guilty of some terrible crime and was, had to deal with justice and then joseph gets forgotten and and just so you know we'll we'll skip ahead real quick Verse, chapter 41 begins this way now what happened at the end of two full years that pharaoh had a dream two more years cupbearer never thought to mention joseph he rotted in that jail well i don't know how much he rotted I think he kept living God's dream. And God kept shaping him and molding him and preparing him to make him who he wanted him to be. I, I so want this chapter to end with. And the cupbearer told the Pharaoh about this great guy Joseph, and the and the Pharaoh released him and he went back to his people and lived happily ever after. Wouldn't that be awesome? I guarantee you Joseph would have loved it that way. But God had a plan for Joseph's life. God had a dream for Joseph's life that was way bigger than that. So what can we take away? Well, first of all, if you're feeling imprisoned right now, don't give up. Live his dream right where you are. You might feel stuck. You might feel like you'd do anything to change your circumstances. And I'm not saying don't call out to God to change your circumstances. Joseph asked to be uh, mentioned to the Pharaoh so he could get out of there. There's nothing wrong with that. But if God decides to leave you where you are, the situation you are with the health crisis that you're facing, with the financial difficulty that you're facing, in the relationship woes that you are feeling, whatever the situation you find yourself trapped in, if God decides to leave you there for any more length of time, then I want to encourage you to trust him enough to say, God, how can I live your dream in this situation? What I'm saying is bloom where you're planted. God has not accidentally allowed you to be there. If you're feeling forgotten, I say, hang in there. I promise you, God has not forgotten you. In his perfect timing, he will answer your call. In the meantime, he's called you to trust him. In the meantime, he's called you to serve him by serving others. Wherever you might find yourselves, stay in his dream. God's inviting you to join Him in His dream for your life? How will you respond to an invitation like that? How you answer that question will determine the course of your life. Let's stand and pray together. Father, first of all, we want to thank You for Your amazing grace. You have given us such mercy. You have shown us such kindness. You have offered us such such valuable forgiveness. And we thank you for that grace. We thank you that even though the truth is hard, that we are convicted in our sin, that we cannot save ourselves and that there is in fact judgment waiting, we thank you that the, the offer of grace still stands. So I pray for everybody here today who who may be struggling, maybe feeling lost, maybe feeling abandoned, may be feeling tied up. Or, or maybe feeling that they don't even know you, God, I pray that they would see that grace and cling to it. And, and Father, I pray you would help us now to live out our gifts, that we would remember that we're serving you wherever we are, and that instead of asking you all the time, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here, we would start to ask you, Lord, use this to shape me into your image. Use me here. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.